Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media soundbites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Today, our show is about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Maine's fishermen and aquaculture farmers. Like so many businesses, marine industries have been hit hard by the pandemic. National and global seafood markets for Maine fish and shellfish have almost entirely dried up and people are scrambling for ways to keep their businesses afloat. And yet, each of the people I interviewed for this episode of Coastal Conversations talked about a silver lining. Local markets for seafood have spiked in the last few weeks. Maine residents are all cooking and eating way more meals than usual at home, and increasingly, consumers are seeking out healthy, local foods. And so the good news for our neighbors who make a living off the sea is that these direct seafood sales can help generate a little cash while larger markets are on hold. Marine industries are core to the character and economy of our coastal communities. For this show, I wanted to learn more about how our fishermen and shellfish farmers are faring right now during the pandemic. What support is available to them? And what do they predict for the future of their livelihoods? I wanted to hear both from people who work on the water personally, as well as others who are working to support them. So today, you'll hear from Joanna Fogg, the owner of Bar Harbor Oyster Company, Sebastian Bell and Afton Hupper, both from the Maine Aquaculture Association, Marianne LaCroix from the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative, and Ben Martens from the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Because WERU is not able to broadcast live from the station right now, this is a pre-recorded show and will not be taking any calls today. So let's jump right in with our first guest, Joanna Fogg, who farms oysters in the waters off of Mount Desert Island. This interview was recorded on April 10th, 2020. Well, my husband and I own Barb Oyster Company. We've got a 22 and a half acre oyster farm in Mount Desert Narrows, so between MDI and the mainland. We've been farming there since 2014, and we use the oyster grow system. So we have floating cages that are all on the surface of the ocean during the growing season, which is roughly April or May through December. And then we sink those cages to the bottom and we sell about a three or a three and a half or four year oyster. Tell me what a normal April looks like. It sounds like April is the transition season from winter to summer. What is, what, what is that normal? Yeah. Like? So typically we're, we're launching boats and bringing our cages that are on the bottom to the surface and going through all of our stocks, checking all of our animals, um, trying to get rid of any biofouling that's been there, trying to get kind of a 
a take on all of the dead loss that we may have had. It's just natural to lose some over the course of the winter. So taking some inventory on that, um, cleaning out the cages, and then starting to kind of change the, the stocking density. So we pack them into cages at a, at a tighter density for their safety and just for the ease of wintering them over um, in the spring. And when we raise them to the surface, we, we change the stocking density so they have more room to grow and spread them out again um, on the surface over the, the space of our lease on our farm. Um, so what does it look like with COVID? What are some of the wrenches that you're facing? Well, we've just been concerned with the very, you know, the the fundamentals of of safety, our own safety and the safety of our product. So we are able to harvest on a small scale now because we have a little bit of inventory left over from our winter supply. So we're being really careful about our own just hand washing and the handling of our products and also trying to give each other, you know, when we're working together as much space as possible, being on separate boats if that's an option, not being in the same, you know, truck if we're loading cages. Um, just some of those basic things to try and keep the social distancing um, in effect. We have um, Hamilton Marines hasn't been open, so we've had to kind of re, you know, assess where we're going to get some of our gear um, or make do with what we've got uh, has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, but so far, because it's pretty early in our season and we have done the same process for several years now. We haven't seen any anything huge to hit us yet, but we're anticipating with all of the restaurants being closed and the the tourist you know industry where it is now and what our projections are you know for that for the summer that our biggest hit will come when we would have been selling you know the bulk of our product and we're a little bit worried about what's going to happen with that this this summer. What's your normal market? Where do you normally sell? About 90% of our product I wholesale um, on MDI. I do have um, a wholesale license and a shell stock shipper license. So we manage all of that ourselves. I handle all of our client relations. So you're pretty dependent on the tourism season. Yes. Yep. Yep. We have been. We um, one of the things we're doing now is, you know, about 10% of it has gone, you know, directly to consumer. We do some, you know, shucking services and um, sell to, you know, neighbors and friends and things like that. But we're starting to get a little bit more creative about how we can sell, get our products directly to consumers if there is not a big tourist, you know, boom here. And if some of the restaurants that we typically deal to don't open up again. But there are other licenses that are involved in that, you know, with, you know, we sell a product that is generally eaten on the half shell. It's a raw product. Um, there are a lot of safety rules and paperwork and licenses that go with dealing our product. So I spend a fair bit of time looking into that paperwork and making sure that I can get all of everything that I need to make to be lawful and safe about dealing oysters. So you might have to change or not necessarily change, but add different layers of licenses to, to your position. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So for example, I have to, if I want to sell them directly to people at a farmer's market, I will have to go through the Department of Agriculture as opposed to just the Department of Marine Resources, which generally handles um, what I do. And then I may also have to go through the FDA to get a catering license if I want to help shuck those oysters. 
um, or a retail license um, on top of having a wholesale license, a harvester's license, and a shell stock shipper's license, um, and a lot of inspections. So we were lucky to get some of the inspections that we needed for our dealer's license just a couple of weeks ago. But I imagine there'll be other things that I will have to pay for, understand, and maintain in order to, to, to move my product in different ways. That's a lot of different layers. Plus you're <laughs> harvesting and managing your farm. And also trying to run the farm. Yeah. And I've got and, a three-year-old daycare now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Are you finding yourself also navigating um, all of the information that's coming through about business support for small businesses? Yes. So there has been just a, a flood of information out there and a lot of it is useful, but it has been challenging to navigate that. I have been, there have been some good support through the Maine Aquaculture Association helping us as small business owners and industry specific how to navigate some of the, that information. Um, we will be taking advantage of probably the payroll, payroll protection plan as well as alone to help cover some of our expenses and to keep our crew employed um, if we don't have the cash flow of our wholesale market that we anticipated. Um, so there's that. And then just, you know, chatter amongst the industry about how this could be affecting, you know, all of us over the course of this season. Like I said, you know, the biggest impact of COVID-19, I don't think has affected me as a business owner yet. It's just anticipating what it will do to our sales this summer and what an abundance of oysters on the market can do to to sales themselves so if all of the oyster farmers you know in maine or on the eastern seaboard aren't able to move their product of course i'm worried about the price and you know people holding them as well as the you know the canadian maritime provinces with the exchange rate i mean they have an abundance of oysters as well and they can probably afford to sell them for a little bit less because of the exchange rate so that's a potential worry and then there's a space issue. We we have a, a sizable farm with enough physical space on our lease. But if I don't move the hundreds of thousands of oysters that I anticipated selling this year, I may be looking at having to invest in a fair bit of gear in order to house my my new seed in addition to um, the, the crop that I would like to hang on to or would like to sell but may have to, to keep housing essentially. So that's so another kind of battle. So you are in the kind of business that you can't just sort of put your business on hold for a few no. months. You need no. to be out there farming. They definitely, yeah. I mean, I have millions of oysters in the bottom of the ocean right now, and I'm going to feel a lot better when they're up there. Yeah, up on the surface. They can't, they, they essentially would be um, kind of suffocated if they were to stay the way we packed them for the winter throughout the summer. So I could potentially lose a lot of our stocks if we don't get our cages up. Um, not to mention that as long as they're on the bottom and in the density that they are, they're not going to grow. So it wouldn't just be this year's, you know, revenue that we would lose. It would be, you know, next year and the following year. I've got, you know, three different year class oysters on my farm right now. Yeah. So as the Small Business Administration and the federal government and all these entities are and Congress are basically trying to come up with various different plans to help small businesses move forward. What, what would you want to say to them? What do you and your sector need to get through this? Um, well, being deemed uh, an essential business was one of the first things that 
you know, allow, you know, it's allowing us to continue to go to work and then also making sure that the places that give us, you know, we, I need fuel for my boats and I need, you know, I need haulers, I need chain, I need, you know, things like that. Um, and, and the gear to house the oysters. So being deemed essential and kind of having permission to work, um, is, is huge. And then all of like the smaller, um, organizations or, you know, other industries that support us that allow us to get out there and do what we need to do are huge. Um, and any facilitation of the processes that it allows me to, to deal my oysters directly to consumers is also something that, you know, is where the government plays a role. If people wanted to get oysters from you now, what, what should they do? Um, I have a, a website, barharboroyster.com. I'm on Facebook. We have a company page. You can get our contact information that way and um, buy directly from me. Uh, as a harvester, you can come. I can sell them directly from my property. Um, and as a wholesaler, I can deliver them. So there are a couple of options. We're looking into doing farmer's markets if those start to come up and running. Um, and we may end up doing kind of like an oyster club or like a weekly kind of membership where you can come and pick up and just order the same time, same place. We harvest and, and deliver or harvest and serve same day. So we like to get the freshest product that we can to local consumers. And once we kind of get the, the ground underneath us a little bit more, we'll have some more things that we'll be advertising on social media and via our website so that people can find out um, how they can be a part of those programs. It sounds like you're um, needing to just think creatively different ways to move your business forward. Along with everyone. Yep, I think so. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. We have found a lot of support. It's been great. You know, I was I actually probably had a spike in sales right after this because I think people were aware that small farmers, small business owners, fishermen are need the income and i felt really uplifted by people in our community wanting to support us wanting us to be able to continue to do what we do you know i hope that our restaurants are able to bounce back and i also hope that you know consumers realize how lucky we local consumers realize how lucky we are to have um the ocean as a natural resource whether it's you know longline fishing lobster fishing or sea farming we have such an abundant and beautiful resource here that some of the best food in the world is available right now. Like, right. Your, your neighbors are doing it. you you know, um, just a shout out to everyone who's working on the waterfront and, um, and people who can support us by eating local and sustainable foods. It's really a privilege to be able to have this right here. Like as, as Mainers, I feel a little bit of you know just safety and goodness and knowing that we have this this food security with our our natural resource that was joanna fogg of bar harbor oyster company talking about her experience farming oysters this spring during the covid 19 pandemic i wanted to note that joanna as well as our next guests from the maine aquaculture association all talk about the financial support and loans available to small businesses during the pandemic these loans and other assistance are in a state of flux as Congress is continually passing new legislation to support small businesses. Things may have changed since these interviews were conducted. So for any of our listeners who are small business owners, your bank and the main small business development centers will have the most up-to-date information about financial support options available to you today.
Our next guests are Sebastian Bell and Afton Hupper, both from the Maine Aquaculture Association, who start by giving us an overview about aquaculture in Maine today. And then we get into what their organization is doing to support fish, shellfish, and seaweed farmers during this time. This interview was conducted on April 10th, 2020. So aquaculture has been going on in Maine uh, in the modern sense of the world for roughly 45 years. And um, what is quite unique about Maine is aquaculture in Maine is a very diverse sector, um, probably more diverse than any other state in the country. Um, the three principal species that we, species groups that we, we grow are finfish, shellfish, and seaweed. Um, it's a very diverse group of farmers, both in terms of production methods and species. And um, most of our product is sold as a fresh product, um, with perhaps some exceptions in the seaweed sector where they're uh, frozen or value-added products. But um, because we're so close to the markets and because we're harvesting out of cold water and very high quality water, uh, our products are known in the marketplace as being the highest quality um, aquaculture products out there. And uh, we have a very uh, dynamic, entrepreneurial, and relatively young group of uh, farm owners. The average age of one of our farm owners is uh, roughly 37 years old, if you compare that to the average age of a commercial fishing license holder in the state. Um, that average age is 57 uh, years old. So we are, I guess, a little over a month into this pandemic. Um, what are you guys hearing from your members? What's, what's it looking like for them in terms of the impact of the pandemic, of the stay-at-home orders, um, impact on their businesses? So I think both Afton and I have spent quite a bit of time on the phone in the last uh, three weeks with members. And, um, you know, when it first started, I think um, there was a little bit of shock at how fast markets contracted, and particularly in the shellfish sector, markets contracted very quickly, almost overnight. You know, over 80% of seafood consumed in this country is consumed in restaurants. And so when the restaurants were shut down, that had an immediate impact on uh, sales for, for our members. Uh, there, are, there is a, a, a bright side in some ways to this event in the sense that um, we saw the beginnings of an uptake in retail sales of seafood. People were buying seafood in markets and taking it home to cook. And that's why the work that Afton has been doing on uh, developing these recipes and uh, the videos around how to cook seafood is really important. If you're just tuning in, that was Sebastian Bell from the Maine Aquaculture Association. You're listening to Coastal Conversations with host Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM and streaming online at weru.org. Our show today is about the impact of COVID-19 on fishermen and aquaculture farmers in Maine. We previously heard from Joanna Fogg of Bar Harbor Oyster Company, and later on the show, we'll talk with Marianne LaCroix from Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative and Ben Martens from Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Now, let's get back to the Maine Aquaculture Association, first with Afton Hupper, then a bit more from Sebastian Bell. A reminder, though, that this episode was pre-recorded, so we're not taking any calls at this time. 
So here's Afton Hupper from Maine Aquaculture Association sharing a bit about how they're helping those of us eating a lot more of our meals at home than usual during the pandemic with videos covering how to cook Maine seafood. What I've been doing is these short videos are usually under a minute long and they just show quickly how you can throw together easy seafood recipes using all of the different products that we farm here in Maine. So everything from um, roasted oysters, which a lot of people have never tried a cooked oyster, you know, it's opportunity to sort of um, try new things. Um, kelp smoothie, we have one on Thai, Thai coconut curry mussels, as well as a couple of different salmon recipes. Um, so we have the videos on our social media and links to the recipes on the website. And then within the recipes that are online, if you scroll to the bottom, there's actually information on where to get the products that were used in the video. In terms of uh, getting seafood locally, how can one of our listeners go about that? Yeah, so if they go to our website, it's mainaqua.org directory. Here are some of the farmers that you could find in your area. So for example, there are a couple of directories on there that actually have a map. So um, the Cooperative Extension through the University of Maine, they have a local food map and you can look up in your area. That includes um, fishermen and local farmers as well. And then there's a number of uh, farms that have gone to, um, to the retail model by working with other farmers and selling things online. So shipping overnight is an option for folks who are not in Maine. Some of our members are doing that as well, including like Atlantic Sea Farms, the kelp company out of um, Saco. They are doing free shipping in all of New England for the month. So that's a great opportunity to try a new product. Great. Um, in terms of the policy that's coming out of both Augusta and Washington, D.C., are your business owner members feeling like um, there's, some, there's some help for them? Well, that is a big question, Natalie. Mm. There's a lot of different pieces to it. Um, so we're sending out daily alerts to our members uh, on how things are evolving. The, the, the programs that are available have um, been evolving very rapidly and changing almost on a daily basis. Um, certainly, we have pushed very hard, and we, we started doing this right at the beginning of the, the pandemic, um, to have aquaculture included in any program that would apply to either fisheries or agriculture, because in some ways we're part of both. Um, and so uh, aquaculture has been included in some of the programs coming out of Department of Agriculture, some of the programs coming out of Department of Commerce, um, and, and obviously all the programs that are coming out of the Small Business Administration as well. So um, we probably don't have time to go through all the specifics on this uh, show, but um, I would encourage anybody who has any questions about if there are programs out there for farmers, for aquaculturists, pick up the phone and give us a call at the uh, association, uh, 6220136, um, and, uh, and we'll try and uh, identify what specific programs you might be um, uh, qualified for and point you in the right direction. I will say one thing uh, that's probably the simplest thing you can do, which is if you have a relationship with a, uh, a bank, pick up the phone and call your banker. Um, because many of the programs go through the local bank and um, those banks are becoming more and more proficient in understanding those, um, those programs and they're getting updates on a very fast, regular basis from their um, banking um, regulators. And so they often have the most up-to-date information about what programs 
work for what kind of companies. And the aid packages that are coming out and the support that banks are able to provide, are there pieces that you wish were included that you're not seeing yet? So we definitely are talking to the delegation about um, some modifications, both to the existing programs and uh, some modifications to other existing programs that were there before the pandemic um, that are not being used to respond to the pandemic. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the USDA Risk Management Agency has something called a Whole Farm Revenue um, Program, which is essentially an insurance program. As it's currently configured, it, it, essentially the way the program works is if you have a year where your farm revenue goes down very dramatically, it has to go down, I think, 35% or something like that, then you have an insurance policy and you get some money to cover that difference. Uh, there is no provision of that existing program that allows somebody to qualify for it in this particular situation because of a human viral outbreak and an impact on markets. So we're arguing that um, that would be a great program to modify. It's a pre-existing program. It's already there. Um, that might be one way to help increase the ability of uh, people to kind of manage around the situation. I know looking at the list of uh, essential businesses, um, it, I saw that fisheries and aquaculture were on the list of, as essential businesses. And can you talk about the, a little bit about the importance of that in terms of the, the length of time, you know, that you can't just be out of work as a farmer for three right. months and hope to continue? Yeah, well, we were not originally on that list. And uh, it took about nine to 10 days of pretty hard lobbying on a day-to-day -day basis to get us on that list. Certainly, uh, because we do grow food, I think it's pretty pretty simple that we are essential. You're right, Natalie, that if we were not on that list, then we would be precluded from operating normally. And uh, particularly at this time of year, when you're talking about either a harvest season for kelp or a seeding season for shellfish, this is just a critical time of year for us. And so if we had not been on that list, um, we would have had big trouble in terms of being able to get a crop in the water or a crop out of the water. I think we're seeing a, a big shift in people's creativity and, and, you know, kind of like necessity is the mother of invention. And this has been, you know, it, it's obviously very challenging because if 80% of your market is, or more in some cases, is wholesale and those markets are completely gone, trying to overnight switch that to a completely different business model. I mean, there's going to be loss for sure. And it's not, you know, the retail side of it, um, these, these changes that people are making and trying to get people to buy more local seafood, it won't make up for, uh, it won't hundred percent make up for the loss um, in revenue from restaurants. But what it can do is give people a reason to go to work every day. It can connect people to new channels of seafood consumption that they have never been able to really practice before. I mean, I've heard, and this is not just for, for farm seafood, this is definitely for wild as well, because um, you're seeing all over the news now stories about fishermen landing their catch and selling it right off the dock. And this is something that most people have never been able to do before, is just go right up to the person and get it straight from the source. So. You know, I think, I think it is kind of a beautiful time in some ways because we have this opportunity to, first of all, connect to the people that are eating our food and also help them make the connection and work alongside our wild colleagues as well. So it, you're seeing people come together to try to overcome these challenges and really support one another 
Um, so I'd say that that's kind of like a major silver lining of this whole thing. It's kind of like think, going back to basics and thinking about how can I support my neighbor, my small businesses, people around me. Um, and that that's a really special opportunity, I think. And, and I think it will, this, this whole event will change the way the industry um, continues to grow and progress past this point. Because um, eventually we're going to go back to normal and restaurants will, will reopen um, but I think it's an opportunity to really reconnect and, and establish more of a, a diverse business model for some of these farms that are able to do so. That was Afton Hupper and before Afton, Sebastian Bell, both from the Maine Aquaculture Association, talking about changes the aquaculture industry is making during the COVID-19 pandemic. Towards the end of our conversation, Afton made a reference to her association's, quote, wild colleagues, end quote. By using the term wild here, Afton was referring to fishermen who harvest species from the wild, as opposed to aquaculturists who are growing their harvest like farmers. Lobstermen, then, are considered wild harvesters. That's a great segue to our next guest on today's Coastal Conversations, Marianne LaCroix of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative, which supports Maine's largest seafood industry, lobster. Marianne starts by explaining a bit about the purpose of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative, and then we talk more generally about the impact of the pandemic on the lobster industry. Here's Marianne. It was first formed um, in early 1990s in about 1991 when the industry got together and decided that they wanted to collectively market the product and then in 2013 we were reorganized as the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative with a, a larger budget to sort of reflect the um, growth of the industry over that time. So are you a nonprofit? Are you a business? Admit Like how is it Sort of yeah, we're at, our, our designation is actually a public instrumentality of the state, which is a, it's basically a nonprofit, but our, our fees are collected through the state. So whenever a lobsterman, a lobster dealer, or a lobster processor in Maine gets their annual license, they pay a marketing fee that the, the state then passes on to our organization to administer. What, uh, what sort of precipitated within the lobster industry the desire to pull together and market as a unified force? Well, I know in the 90s, it was um, the increase in landings of, the, of lobster. So there was a lot more lobster coming in. So it's not, it couldn't be um, absorbed into the local market anymore. So it was looking at, you know, creating more demand outside the normal channels. And in more recently in 2013, uh, the landings were continue, continuing to increase. And um, we had a situation one year when we had a lot of lobster come into the marketplace very early in the season. And we were sort of overlapping with Canada with their lobster coming in at the same time. So we just had a lot of lobster in the market at the same time. And we're looking at different ways to solve problems like that in the future. And, and one way that the industry agreed was a good one was to create more demand for a lobster. And so that seems so relevant for the conversation that we're having today about the impact of the pandemic on marine industries um, and the fishing and aquaculture industry, especially as you were saying earlier that one of the driving forces for creating the collaborative was because the local market was couldn't sort of accept any more local lobster. Um, so can you give us a, an overview of where Maine lobsters go? What is the, what is the market both locally and internationally and nationally these days? 
before the pandemic. Normal days, sure, sure. Uh, lobster goes all over the world now. We have, as both live lobster and as processed lobster meat or lobster tails, uh, whole frozen lobsters, things like that. So a lot is consumed in the U.S. We uh, export to Canada. We have a lot going back and forth to Canada with their processing facilities. And we have lobster being shipped worldwide. I think it's to something like 50 other countries. So we have um, uh, quite a, a, a broad customer base. Yeah, yeah. So what are you seeing now? What, what Now that we are, what are we like five weeks into the pandemic? Um, what, do you, what, are the, what are the immediate impacts that you saw at the beginning and how does it look now? Well, the most obvious and immediate impact was the shutdown of restaurants because about two thirds or 70% or so of lobsters eaten away from home traditionally. So that's at restaurants, casinos, cruise ships, large events, you know, functions. And these are all things that obviously uh, were shut down over the past few weeks. And uh, restaurants are still operating at takeout, but we know at much lower volumes. So that was obviously an impact to Maine lobster. One thing working in our favor is that this is a slow time of year for us. We don't bring in a lot of lobster uh, this time of year. So in March, for example, a typical March will bring in a million pounds of lobster. So as opposed to August when we might be bringing in 25 million pounds of lobster. So um, as far as the fishery goes, you know, for the people actually out on the water, it's, it was an immediate impact. But for a lot of people, it's more of a wait and see what's happening as we approach our high season, which is the summer and fall. The supply chains are still open for, for restaurants. It's just at a obviously much diminished capacity. And, you know, the, the retail supermarket uh, channels are, uh, seem to be growing, as do the direct-to-consumer sales. So anyone, um, and we do have quite a few companies that sell direct-to-consumers, and they are, they're doing quite well right now. Yeah, what are some of them doing? What are some of their approaches to getting lobster out there? Well, actually, they're doing what they've always been doing, which is selling both live lobster as well as lobster meat and lobster tails, different lobster products, and shipping them direct to consumers. And that's been a business that um, many have had in place, um, you know, for years now. And there's just, they're seeing a lot more demand now as people are cooking at home. So as you're looking at changes in the markets, um, and especially it sounds like restaurants and cruise ships and other sort of larger markets. Um, what does that mean for a marketing board now in the short term versus the long term? Right. So what we're going to be focusing on is getting consumers comfortable um, preparing and cooking lobster at home, which we know that was a much smaller market before this. But now with everyone, you know, really being forced to cook a lot more of their meals at home, uh, people are looking for for products that they can they can handle so our job is to make sure that they have all the educational tools they need so we have and we have a lot of that material already and we're, we're in the process of developing more but we have videos showing people how to boil a lobster steam a lobster how to um, shuck the lobster shell and get to the lobster meat and we also have a lot of recipes online we also have a lot of products available now, um, including, you know, cooked lobster meat, raw lobster meat, uh, lobster tails that are very, very easy products to work with. And we have great freezing technology in, in our processes in the state. So 
um, we've been having it and um, you, you really can't tell the difference between uh, a fresh product and one you, that's been properly frozen like our products are. Can you share the websites where, you, where people can access those? Yes, if they go to lobsterfrommaine.com. We've got some great resources there. Just go to the um, preparing and eating lobster section and we'll have a lot of resources available. Great. Great. Um, and I'm curious to talk a little bit about the international market, um, especially in the beginning when the coronavirus seemed to have um, really kind of, when we first started hearing about it, it, was, it seemed to be focused a little bit on China, which I know in the last few years had been a market for lobster that, was, that seemed to be on the expansion side of the spectrum. Well, my organization, Mark, we, we've made the decision to years ago to focus on the U.S. market for our marketing. And that was um, one, one because of budget constraints. So we have to sort of be targeted with our marketing. And it really is the safest market for us. We're not dealing with currency exchanges. We're not dealing with tariffs, um, you know, any political unrest in different countries. So it's very hard. It's very expensive to build up markets in foreign countries and then suddenly have them go away through, you know, outside problems that they're completely outside our control. So we made the decision to focus on the U.S. market. So and we're continuing, continuing to do that. What are some of the, you know, what would you say to somebody here in Maine who maybe isn't normally a regular lobster eater? Um, why should they, why should they pay attention to supporting the local lobster industry today? Well, I'd say it's a great time to uh, try lobster. It's it's really a heritage product for us. This is uh, lobster fishing is one of the oldest um, commercial fisheries. You know, we've been we've been going for a couple hundred years. We've had sustainability measures in place for over a hundred years um, that's protected the resource and given us the the really strong landings that we have today. So, it's really a part of our uh, community and especially our coastal communities because we have. Um, you know, several thousand lobstermen, but they also have um, sternmen working on their boats, the industry employs people that are working on the wharf, people in, you know, dealers and processors. And there's, uh, it just, um, the fishery itself is really critical to supporting uh, the health of the coastal communities and the island communities. If you're just tuning in, that was Marianne LaCroix from the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative in an interview recorded on April 17th, 2020. You're listening to Coastal Conversations with host Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. A reminder that this show was pre-recorded, so we're not taking any calls at this time. Our show today is about the impact of COVID-19 on fishermen and aquaculture farmers in Maine. We previously heard from Joanna Fogg of Bar Harbor Oyster Company and Sebastian Bell and Afton Hupper, both from the Maine Aquaculture Association. Our last guest on today's show is Ben Martens from Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. In this conversation, recorded on April 10th, 2020, Ben, like my other guests, talks about how he is seeing an unprecedented rise in consumer demand for local seafood during the pandemic's Stay Healthy at Home guidelines. 
Ben also helps us understand the complexities of how seafood normally gets to its markets, both local and around the world, and he shares new tools such as Facebook pages that are emerging for helping consumers buy seafood directly from the producers. Here's Ben, who starts by telling us a bit about his organization, the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. The Maine Coast Fishermen's Association was started by a group of fishermen out of Port Clyde because they were very concerned about what was happening to the marine resources uh, and in turn their small businesses and small community. And so they wanted to come together and build a stronger voice around fisheries policy work. And so while our organization was founded, really focused on the ground fish fishery of Maine, we now work with fishermen in um, ground fish and lobsters and scallops. And when we used to have a shrimp fishery and shellfish harvesters, um, herring boats, um, and we, we really focus on, you know, how do we build fishing communities that have diverse fishing businesses within them um, and access to our natural resources. And with the underlying goal of always making sure that the resources and the fishermen have to come first. Tell me a little bit about um, what you have been seeing in terms of the last few weeks. What's, what's changing apart from everything? Every day with the coronavirus and the pandemic, what's happening on our working waterfronts is evolving uh, quickly. And so early on, we started to see our overseas markets collapsing. And a lot of seafood in Maine ends up overseas, uh, particularly lobster, but also monkfish and some of our ground fish goes into Asian markets, European markets. And, and so that was the first indicator that we saw that those markets were getting soft and then disappearing. And then on the fresh side of things, uh, the rest of our seafood usually ends up in fresh markets, meaning local restaurants. And once the, the virus and the outbreak and the stay at home orders started to, to really ramp up, the entire supply chain uh, around the fishing industry collapsed. Um, and that meant we lost prices. We lost, we had dealers telling fishermen not to leave the dock. And um, it was, it's really scary. And, and that, that first couple of weeks of, of fear uh, out of the fishing industry uh, was something that I had never experienced before. Um, we've had other economic crises. We've had um, other problems within the industry where you might not be able to get paid for your seafood or the demand might be be going down. But to have something moving forward that's so completely alien and out of our control was something that fishermen just didn't really know how to cope with. And, and, and none of us really do, honestly. But, um, you know, there's a lot more fear and concern. The, the only, you know, kind of silver lining to to this, though, is that the timing of the this current outbreak is at a time when not a lot of fishermen were planning on making significant pieces of their revenue stream. So we have a little time now to prepare, uh, but I, I think that we can all kind of see that this, this isn't going away anytime soon. So uh, we better be laying the, the foundation of something that looks different moving forward. Yeah, so help us understand how the supply chain works, the seafood supply chain, and um, what Maine's role is in it. So the supply chain for seafood is very, very complicated. And part of the reason why it's complicated is because it's a different supply chain for all the different seafood that we catch in Maine. You know, if you start with the lobster, which is the most valuable fishery in our state, um, 
the fishermen go out and they catch it and they bring it into their co-ops or their lobster dealers. And then that lobster gets graded and destined for different locations. Um, some of it gets turned into a fresh market product. Some of it gets picked and turned into lobster rolls and um, claws. And some of it stays local. Some of it goes to Asian markets and European markets. But it's, it's a very long supply chain that um, needs to react quickly. Um, a lot of our product is fresh out of Maine, whether it's lobsters or scallops or ground fish. And um, that means there, there can't really be lags in that, that chain when we're trying to get fish to its end destination. And so for lobster, we have a little bit more flexibility because we are shipping live creatures around uh, the world at times. For fin fish and scallops, when we are landing a product that um, as soon as it comes off the bottom of the ocean, uh, a timer starts on it in terms of when it needs to get into the mouths of consumers. And uh, that means that it, the supply chain needs to be tight and um, hits the dock, it goes to the fish exchange in Portland, and then it gets sold to a processor who does the cutting and packaging and selling. And uh, then it ends up on restaurants or in supermarkets or someplace around the world. And so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated process with a lot of middlemen uh, in between when the fishermen catch the seafood and the restaurant or the consumer um, starts cooking it. And as soon as there's a disruption in that, product can get stranded in different parts. Whether it's stranded in the ocean, uh, which is a fine place for fish and lobsters to be stranded, or uh, someplace in between, that's, that becomes very difficult uh, when you're trying to keep the economy moving around seafood. So I know that you guys at Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, um, you have been uh, in touch with a whole lot of fishermen and you're trying to provide some support. Um, what, what are you guys up to to help fishermen through these last few weeks of the pandemic? So there's a lot of things that are going on within our organization and within the fishing communities that we're, we're trying to, to help out on. Um, and there's a lot that's going on with uh, different economic stimulus packages, et cetera. But the most interesting piece is local seafood is an opportunity again. And with the restaurants being closed, more people are cooking at home with the supermarkets being difficult to get access to and um, fresh protein being in short supply. We have more people reaching out right now for local seafood than um, we've ever had. So, um, the demand is significantly increasing right now. And with fishermen who want to be catching fish and lobsters and scallops, um, one of the first things we've tried to do is connect the, the two pieces of that equation. How do we start having fishermen supplying directly to the consumers who are looking for these products? And, um, and, and it's been an adventure and it's been exciting. Uh, it's, it's been really invigorating to see the number of people that are looking to help the fishermen, but also try something new in their home kitchen, uh, eat local seafood, and um, kind of do something with what this, you know, we're in a crisis, we have um, a lot of negativity around us, but there is opportunity within that. And there's a lot of people taking advantage of that opportunity to try new things, uh, be home chefs, uh, connect with local community members and, and support the fishing industry and, and local agriculture as well. And so um, it's been it's been really fun to kind of see that happening. Can you talk about a few of the uh, the really concrete ways that um, 
uh, people can connect to the seafood and fishermen can connect to the consumers? Yeah, so we have pulled together some resources on our website. We've got a, a new page that we've launched, which is just a list of different businesses um, that you can um, source local seafood from. A lot of those do direct to your home uh, delivery as well, which is obviously very nice uh, these days. Or they're, they're local lobster, uh, lobster pounds or um, you know, harbor fish, other places like that that do offer opportunities for you to safely purchase local seafood. And so we've set up um, a couple of different Facebook groups. We, we set up one and then there's been a, a couple of others that have popped up that people have asked us to take over and manage for them uh, that fishermen are members of and then community members go and they'll post saying, I'm looking for 10 lobsters in Bar Harbor. Who's got some? Um, or a fisherman says, I'm landing 200 pounds of scallops later today in Portland who's interested in buying some direct from me. Can you share the names of some of the sites? So one is Maine Seafood Direct, uh, and one is Support Local Fishermen Buy Maine Seafood. Um, those can, uh, sometimes it can be hard to find groups on Facebook. So folks go to the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association website. Um, there's a, a list of, of those uh, different Facebook groups on our uh, seafood page as well. Inevitably, it raises the question, direct sales raises the question in the time of pandemic of um, how, do we, how do we keep safe when we're trying to interact directly with the person that we want to buy something from? What are some of the recommendations that are um, being put out there to, to do these sort of direct transactions, which, you know, make me think of a farmer's market um, in a way that is safe? Yeah, I mean, that's a really important point. And we've been encouraging fishermen to wear masks. Um, wear gloves, keep your distance, uh, do drops if you're able. Uh, when people are lining up, people are making sure to give space. And a lot of this actually takes place outside, which isn't perfect, but it is better than you know, queuing up inside of a, uh, a packed grocery store. What we come down on is you, know, you need to be able to eat, we need protein, um, we need seafood, and um, this is one of the safer ways that you can go about procuring um, food for yourselves. So, um, you know, long way of me saying, like, listen to the CDC recommendations, wear your mask, wear your gloves, um, do what you need to do to stay safe. And if you're feeling under the weather at all, don't leave the house. Um, get, it, get it delivered then. But, but we, we do think that there are opportunities for people to get out and, uh, and do a good job of, of making those decisions. Do fishermen have to go through any particular hoops to be able to sell seafood directly to consumers legally? They do. There are lots of hoops for fishermen to sell seafood directly to consumers, and it depends on the seafood as well. So um, on our website, for any fishermen that are interested, uh, we have a, a COVID-19 resource page. And on that, that page, there's a bunch of documents that outline how um, fishing business can get the proper permits from the Maine Department of Marine Resources and from the federal government to, um, to go and sell, sell their seafood. Uh, it's different for people that are growing uh, aquaculture products. There's, there's more restrictions on some of those small businesses. But for those that are uh, catching seafood, lobstermen, they can sell their catch directly. 
You can sell scallops directly. Um, ground fish, things like cod and haddock and flounder. Uh, fishermen, as long as they have the proper licensing and permit, can sell whole fish to consumers. Um, they can't sell fillets unless they're filleted in a proper facility. Um, but we've actually been really excited to see people interested in buying whole fish and bringing them home and learning how to fillet. It's, it's one, of those, one of those great skills that many of us have lost over the years that um, you can pull up a YouTube video and it can walk you through it. And it's a lot of fun to kind of interact with food in a new way that many of us aren't familiar um, in doing so. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the business support tools that are emerging. Um, how, how do fishermen fit into some of these tools? And I'm asking specifically because, you know, a lot of the unemployment opportunities are different for fishermen because they are independent workers. Um, the, the business ownership models are different for fishermen. So, so how is that? How is that looking there? There are a lot of support for fishermen right now, um, but it is complicated. The long and, and short answer, though, is that like fishermen who think that they might not qualify, you probably do and should be in touch with your accountant. You should be in touch with your bank. Um, or you can reach out to our organization or the Maine Lobstermen's Association, the Maine Aquaculture Association, um, we have a lot of people that are that are trying to help. And what we have been running into when we've been talking to, to folks on the docks is that they are immediately assuming that they don't qualify. Um, and so we are in the business right now of convincing them to, um, to change their mindset and go after money um, to support their businesses and um, their families through these very difficult and, and what will be lean times um, for, for an extended period, I think, you know, even, even once we start being allowed to go out into the world again, um, the restaurants are going to have a delay. There's going to be um, a long tail to this crisis. And, um, you know, for a lot of fishermen, when we've talked to them, they said like, well, I'm, I wasn't planning on making much money right now anyways. Um, the problem is, is you might not be making any money this summer either. And so if we can try and, and help smooth that out, um, within the fishing industry, I think there's a lot of value in getting engaged early and often um, and sharing with our congressional delegation, uh, our governor's office, the real needs of the fishing businesses and fishermen. Uh, we don't share our stories enough when it comes to the impacts that this is having on the, the docks and working waterfronts of Maine. And um, as there's going to be new additions to um, the CARES uh, Act and other opportunities to try and bring economic stimulus into the United States economy, we need to make sure that fishermen aren't left out of the equation. Fishing businesses are, are non-traditional when it comes to how they spend money and what they're investing in. And, um, and we need to find some ways that protect and preserve vital infrastructure along our coast. And part of that vital infrastructure are the fishing businesses. So the working waterfronts, the fishing businesses, the bait, uh, you know, all the different pieces that go into it. Um, though some of those pieces are left out of the economic stimulus package. And we right now can be doing a great job of advocating for um, the crucial, crucial infrastructure needed to be supplying local sustainable seafood into our markets um, at this time. So I think that there's there's one other point that I would just make about seafood uh, 
in crisis, in this time of crisis, in the seafood industry in this time of crisis. And as we've seen our supply chains disrupted around food, a lot of the things that we traditionally would want to eat, like ground beef or chicken or pork that's coming from other parts of the country. Uh, when I go into a Hannaford supermarket now, a lot of times I can't find what I what I want uh, when it comes to other sources of meat. And it's because of that supply chain breaking down. And if you start looking at the local markets and local, local uh, you know, options, you know, the, if you're growing beef, it's going to take a long time for them to ramp up supply um, when they've been planning for a certain amount of demand over a period of time. And so the, the fishing industry represents a very unique stopgap in our food security for Maine. Because if we start running out of fresh local protein, uh, we don't need to grow more fish. We can have boats go out and fill themselves up with fish um, over the course of a couple of days and start filling that local need. And I, and I think that that just kind of comes back to some of our work about protecting and preserving access to the working waterfront um, and for these small businesses of Maine is that um, you know, we are in a very unique time but there are going to be other times in our future, unfortunately, when um, supply chains will be disrupted and we are looking for local sources of, of food. And uh, we just do need to remember whether we're talking about offshore wind or local working waterfront preservation um, or you know, even you know, the carbon policy that, that might disrupt local shipping um, you know, chains and whatnot, is that the seafood industry is a food industry. Our fishermen are part of our food system. and um, they provide a lot of opportunity for Maine, um, not just in a time of crisis, but every day. And, uh, and I think that it, it's often forgotten that a lot of this product can be consumed locally uh, if we need it to. And, uh, and we should really be taking more advantage of that. That was Ben Martens from Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Our last guest on today's Coastal Conversations focused on how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the seafood industry in Maine. Over the course of today's show, our guests have shared a lot of resources to help consumers access fresh fish, shellfish, and seaweed as well as to help small business owners, fishermen, and aquaculture farmers access support during this challenging time. We've listed all of these resources on the Coastal Conversations webpage, which you can access from seagrant.umaine.edu. Thanks so much to all of my guests today, including Joanna Fogg, the owner of Bar Harbor Oyster Company, Sebastian Bell and Afton Hupper, both from the Maine Aquaculture Association, Marianne LaCroix from the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative, and Ben Martens from the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning.